another episode of The Expat Wife. My name is Tina and I'm the host of this show. And today I'm so happy to welcome another guest. I was really hoping to get her as an interview partner. She is someone I have briefly mentioned in episode one. Today I welcome Kim. Hi, Kim. <laughs> Hi, Tina. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. It is so nice to have you here on The Expat Wife. Please tell everyone else, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tina. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I guess I wanted to just to start and share a little bit about my journey. Um, we met in China. Um, well, I'll start with my husband and I, actually. Um, I'm Australian, probably tell from the accent. Um, he's British and we actually met in the U.S., um, As a couple, as a family, we always wanted to live overseas and um, I guess preferably in a, in a country with a different culture and, and language. We, you know, we're both really internationally minded, we're adventurous. Um, and when we had our son, it was something that we wanted to give an opportunity for our son to have that experience as well. Um, my husband is a teacher. So the opportunity to teach internationally was, was, you know, the obvious choice for us. Um, so he started looking for a job. And I don't know, it was weird because China wasn't even on our radar. We talked about so many other different countries and going to Europe and, and things like that. And, um, you know, suddenly a job got, we got, he got offered a job in China and we were like, oh, wow, China, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to think about that. And then he got offered a second job in China and suddenly the conversation changed to should we go to China to which job should we choose? So it sort of seemed inevitable that, you know, we we ended up in China. Um This is so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, last week I had Sandra on the show and she ended up in Budapest where she couldn't think about going. We ended up in China where I never wanted to go to. But in the end, yeah, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> crazy, just, isn't it? How you, yeah. But it's where you ended up. So, yeah, our, our son was two when we moved. Um, and that was part of the reason too, because, you know, I had such a huge job. Um, back in Australia, I was so busy, and I really. What did you do? Um, I worked in um, marketing in a school, coincidentally. Um, okay. And so, you know, it, I thought we thought it'd be a great opportunity. Um, you know, we could live internationally. My husband could teach. I could be a stay-at-home mum. Um, raise our child till he was five and then you know once he went off to school you know I could start my job you know start a job and, and look for some work or by that point we'll be have left China and you know back in Australia you know really we saw it as an opportunity to you know have time as a family mm -hmm. um, it didn't work out that way <laughs> <laughs> Now it's getting interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, ba basically, you know, when I started talking to the the, the principal, the head of school about, um, you know, what I did, you know, they just go, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, you know, I work in marketing and community relations and things like that f for a school. And I had worked for a school. I'd worked for some 
other charities and, and not-for-profits is my experience. And they went, oh, that's fabulous. We're actually looking for a director of admissions. Oh. <laughs> Do you want the job? And it was kind of like, don't you want to interview me first? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll interview you. Um, but, you know, it, it was pretty much because I had that experience. So suddenly, you know, within a matter of a few weeks, I found myself moving to China with a two-year-old. Um, and Not to being a stay-at-home mum. Not being a stay-at-home mum. I mean, luckily, I mean, we didn't move within two weeks. I was just making that decision. Um, and then, you know, preparing and make, you know, telling our families that we were leaving and moving to China. Um, of course, you know, they weren't too happy to hear that I was taking their grandchild <laughs> a long, mm -hmm. long way away. Um, but, you know, yeah, suddenly we found ourselves in China. Um, it was completely overwhelming um, trying to settle in and find somewhere to live and just get our bearings and start a new job and make friends. And then I met you, Tina. Yes, because what we figured out a lot later, so maybe, yeah, um, because when we came to China for our little um, information trip, um, we went to the school you were working at and you were the very per first person um, we met besides the real estate agent out uh, from from another Westerner in China. And ever since, I was thinking how important you were because you were so welcoming. And um, we, we didn't particularly wanted to go to this school because there was a competitor, competitor school. Sorry, the word I can't say. And um, you were competing with the British school, which for husband, of course, was the main choice. And he was like, no, no. We are going to the British school. We look at this school now, but um, we will not do it. And we, I remember we left the school and he said, wow, that was amazing, but sorry that we, we won't, won't go with you because we go for the British school. And I still want to know if this was your trick because basically <clears throat> the time we spend with you, we apparently it was only scheduled for an hour, which we didn't know, but we talked so much that we spent two hours with you. And so we came an hour too late for the other school and they refused to tour us. <laughs> it was, yeah, I did not know that. It was definitely not my plan. I still think so. No, and you know, and this is, but then it was so easy because we, we liked you so much and it was so nice. And, I don't know if we never, I'm not sure if I've ever told you, but that ever when I met you later and we, we didn't know each other or I didn't work at the school, this came later, my heart always jumped when I saw you because it was always this, oh, there she is again and she made us so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thrilled to hear that because I think that was so much of what I felt my job um, in admissions, um, particularly, you know, families that were, relocating and, and and moving overseas for the first time you know there, there's so many questions and so many uncertainties and I think you know when you're making that decision 
you know, your children's education is, is you know, if not the top, in the top sort of two or three things that you need to feel comfortable with. And I kind of really saw that as part of my job. Um, and I guess I also really brought my experiences into being exactly the same thing. You know, I wanted to know that this was a place that was going to look after my child and and that I was going to be happy here and and things like that so yeah I, I just think you know as thing as much as you know it's, oh, it's admissions their job is just to sell the school I actually feel like I was not just selling the school but kind of selling the life as well mm-hmm. in that yeah you can do this it's scary and hard but you know you're going to get so much out of it Maybe what I was just thinking, maybe we need to go two steps back for everyone who's listening, who's actually not an expat yet. Um, So when we are talking about schools admissions, so what is actually your job? What are you doing? What is the, the, so when I decide an expat to become an expat, where do I meet you on this journey? (laughs) Well, you know, it, it really depends. I mean, um, some families are really lucky that the, the companies will help with a look-see and help them to go, you know, over to wherever they're moving and look at housing and look at schools. Others are not so generous. Um, I, I would say, you know, definitely visit if you can. Um, if otherwise, I mean, now with Zoom and things like that, there's some really great alternatives. Um, you know, just, you know, if you can visit, if not, look at all the schools that are in the area where you're moving. Um, and and like you, you know, you guys, as much as you were saying, oh, we're just going to go to the British school, you still went and had a look at other schools. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important thing is don't always, you know, make a decision and go, this is the school for us. Go and, you know, interview each of the schools and take a look around if you can or, you know, have a Zoom conversation. I mean, it is a really hard thing to make a decision based on a supposedly one-hour meeting, but, you know, it's the best thing is to me, um, I don't know, it's it's the feeling. Mm-hmm. You want to get a feeling that this school is going to care for your child and support your child. Absolutely. I mean, I can I can say here from, from my own experience, I mean, by now I think we have visited We've done a few tours. I would say, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, if somebody just listened to the episode yesterday, no, we didn't stay in Germany. We kept on moving. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so what I felt was the difference between Zoom meeting and and um, the real life experience was always that. With our last move, we literally went to the schools and I did not so much listen to the admissions lady. I actually looked at the teachers' faces. Absolutely. And when the teachers were smiling at me in, in this, the school I was, then I always knew, oh, when this when the teacher smiles, it means of course the teachers can fake, but usually it gives you an idea of how welcoming the school is. And I don't know, this time we are where the kids are at, at a school, which is really great. And in this tour, every teacher smiled. I don't know if it was just, you know, maybe they've been trained by the admin to smile. But uh, <laughs> you cannot. Can I, can I assure you, you cannot tell teachers what to do. Okay. Uh, yes, you're right. Hold on. Stop. <laughs> yes, you are right. Um, 
what I think in, is so interesting about your job, and I don't know, it would be interesting if you could share some insights, because you see families coming in, usually on their first experience, very nervous with all the, the questions. And then you see them, at least from the distance, don't you? Or is it for you like... Yeah. So what is it from, from your experience where you feel this makes a happy expat life? Maybe not happy, but a. are there any... Do you feel like there is a, I don't know, a formula you can follow to, to make this whole thing a successful experience? Or is this uh, too big of a theme? I don't know. I think, you know, I mean, narrowing it down, I mean, there's so many things that make it a successful experience um, and there are so many parts to it. From the, from an admissions perspective and, and find, you know, it, it is so important to find the right school for your children and to some extent, and Tina, you could probably agree to this, is you get better at it the more you do. So the first time mm -hmm. you don't know what you're looking for. The second time you've got some ideas. By the third and fourth time, you know, it's really clear. But in saying that, I don't know if you want to be moving your kids too many times at schools. You know, I'm like it's all about the feeling and your I, I'm going to say it's about your gut instinct. You know, mm -hmm. does this school feel right for my kids? But before you do that, you know, it's about, dare I say it, doing your research. Um, you know, if it's a, a school that offers a curriculum that's different to what you're used to, read up about it and ask people about it, you know. I, mm -hmm. I personally, I love the IB, the International Baccalaureate, um, mm -hmm. but I also know that, that not all IB schools are the same. And that also goes mm -hmm. from British schools or American international schools. You know, yeah. it's it's important to look at the curriculum, but it's also important to um, look at how it feels for you and for your kids and for the community. Another thing I'd also say, if you can, is talk to a few parents somehow, um, and not just one or two, but three or four so you can get a varied opinion, and that mm -hmm. might be, some of the parents that are in the company that you're relocating with, but, you know, also sort of seek out others, you know, go on to social media. You know, there's usually a Facebook group and, you know, you you know, you just ask a question, hey, I'm looking at these few schools, what do people think? I mean, you've got to filter out because there'll be people that are super negative and people that are super yeah. positive. Um, but, you know, if you get some feedback and information from a range of different sources, it starts to get create a better picture for you. But I think this is now. Yep. Yeah. No. I just think ultimately you take all that information and then you you go with your own gut instinct. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. Thank you, especially for this um, um, going and and compare the the curriculum. Especially, I think when your child is smaller. I mean. Usually when they are older, you're kind of already, mm -hmm. you have to, I mean, my children now change curriculums, I don't know, curricula, whatever, since, <laughs> yeah, whatever the word is, they, they always change, changed um, the whole school system, but it's not ideal. And I think at, at a certain point, they, they should stay in the same one. But now I have a really stupid question and I mean it, and I'm sorry, 
would you rely on Google? <laughs> I know this is, I know. Or is there any kind of website where you have, where, where schools are called? Um, Do you know any? Um, I would definitely Google and Google reviews if you okay. can. Um, there are a few sort of school rating sites out there, but often that's where people go to put all the negative stuff when they're really mm. unhappy. So you okay. get a lot of really negative stuff. So it, it's sort of, and often that stuff is dated, you know, it's a year or two or three years out. And so it doesn't necessarily reflect the school at, at present. And that goes both ways as well. And I'm, you know, I'm sure you, and I know you've had experience of hearing, you know, excellent schools. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then when you find out that they're not, as excellent as their reputation is. And I think that, you know, schools go in cycles. That's why, you know, I talk about talking to some parents, like you said, seeing if the teachers are smiling because if the teachers are smiling, that generally means they're happy working there. Um, you know, take a, you know, take a lot of information and distill it down. You, I remember, you see now, when we moved from, from China to Budapest, I remember you gave me a list of things I should ask um, yes. the new school. And I remember I, I, the, the teacher, the, the, the admissions lady in the one school we looked at, she was completely puzzled by my questions. But because you were, I can't, I'm not sure if I remember right, but one thing was you said, ask for the teacher turnover. Yes. Yes. That is definitely what does what does this mean, and would you still recommend this? I would definitely recommend that. So, teacher turnover is you know what the average length of stay is for your teachers, because if teachers are only staying for usually they're on a two or maybe a three year contract, if they're only staying for the length of their contract, that kind of suggests to you that there's some dissatisfaction. Not always the case. I mean, some teachers only stay for two years and they leave for a whole range of reasons but if that's their turnover then that's not great in saying that you know if if I got asked that question in admissions and I my turnover wasn't great I would probably answer pretty vaguely if that makes sense <laughs> yes 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 okay so you want, you, you want to ask that question of the admissions person And then you want to ask that question of um, a couple of the parents. So you ask the same questions to a few different people. Okay. But it, I think it is an interesting point. And um, the, the other question you ask, oh, there was a third one, but I have forgotten it now. But the second one was that you should ask if it's a profit or a non-profit school. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I remember it sounded big, but yeah. I know. It's kind of one of those things when like I don't know, I mean maybe it's a cultural cultural thing, but you know, from my experience, I think from many, you know, schools are schools. They're they're not for profit, they're for schools to provide a service. And what you'll find mm -hmm. out, particularly in, in the international school market now, is so many schools that are for profit which means that the, that the owners or the shareholders are, you know, making money from that school. Um, and so you have to be a bit wary of that. 
I'm not going to necessarily advocate that for-profit is better or not-for-profit is better, but I think it's an important thing for you to know going in um, because it does somewhat dictate the, the, the way the school is a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, it makes sense because my kids are now at a at a, a full profit school as far as I know, but you can see that the that the um, shareholders, I assume, put in a lot of money back into the school because there yeah. is a lot of marketing and it doesn't feel that the budget is tight. Yeah. But I also know I once went to a school where you could see regarding to the school fee that. Um, And as a parent, we always felt there was a lot of money not going where it belonged to. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. And that, that's one of the things. And it's kind of really hard to determine on the face of it Yeah. Um, when you're first looking at schools. Um, and, you know, maybe that's a conversation you have with some of the teachers if you can talk to some teachers. It's really hard, however, you know. To get this information, I assume, right? Or yeah, to find out the... Uh, it yeah. is. It is. Okay. Um, do you remember what the third question was? I, I can't remember right now. <laughs> um, I don't not know. I was thinking one of the things we, we talked about is also particularly, you know, expat wives or how women are, are, are dealing with the situations with following their husbands and and that was even that was what I was originally going to do and didn't end up doing but it was such to me such an important part of the tour of the conversation that I had with families was you mm -hmm. know and it's such a stereotype um but it tended to be that that the husbands had the jobs and the, the women mm -hmm. were coming along it's not always the case and it does change but it still seems to be that process, um, mm -hmm. was also, you know, when I'm talking to the families about meeting their children's needs, it was also about, well, mum, what are you going to do? What are your interests? Um, mm -hmm. Because I really felt that that was just as important, you know. My husband always says, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it sounds so stupid, but I think in this expert life, there is, I mean, I mentioned this in the first or second episode, me as a teacher, I could sense when there was something not happy because, and the, the women, the wives were mostly the ones who had to keep the ball rolling and mm. made sure Husband was happy at work. Children were happy at school, and yeah, that's that's definitely it. As I think, and I see this time and time again, and I personally have also been in that position as well. Is you know your focus um, as the as the expat wife is helping to support your family, so your husband can go off and do his work. Uh, helping support your children so they can go off and, and study and, and be successful. And then once everybody sort of settles into the routines, it's then suddenly you're like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, and particularly for many of us, you know, 
when we came from our home countries, when we were most likely working in having careers and having lives, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a totally different situation that we really didn't kind of expect. And mm-hmm. I really saw part of my job in admissions to help the family feel settled um, was to help mom find her space as well. And whether that was just just trying to introduce mum to some natural friends, like mm-hmm. it's funny you laugh that, you know, um, listening to one of your interviews, you didn't want to have, be with anybody <laughs> who was German, you didn't want to be with anybody who um, worked, you know, was the wife of somebody from your from husband's company. Um, mm-hmm. because they're, they're the obvious choices. You know, the other one is, um, you know, getting introducing them to whatever the parent group is the parent association as well but then some women that's just not what their interest is um but again it's just making those connections um helping them find develop whatever interests hobbies you know and and that's what i've seen and you know i've seen it with you and and others as well is you know whether it's art or photography or writing you know, it, it's connecting in with some of those things so that you do feel that you are um, personally satisfied and, and you have some of your own space that you're not just completely always giving to husband and kids, but you have something that, that you call your own. And what I have to say, I mean, I, yeah, as I said, I tried once to become a PSA mom mm. it didn't work out but what I what I what I what I feel like still it is it is a great starting point because mostly there is one other mom who also does not really want to be yeah. a PSA mom or a PTO or it, it called every school calls it differently but you usually find this person and then you and this person have at least one point where you can and this is, yeah, it, this is what I feel. It gives a little bit of a of a starting point. And maybe this is also something when you tour the school, be a little bit selfish, isn't it? And just say, okay, yeah. my kids are happy, but hey, do you actually have parent association? Do you have parent involvement? Because this is what I feel like a lot of schools don't have that or don't have it in a to a big extent. Yeah. Um, this varies a lot, doesn't it? It, it, I don't know what it it does vary. I mean, it does vary on the type of the school and those those sorts of things, um, and it also varies on the type of people that are in the parent group at the time. You know, it, it sounds like one of your experiences. Um, you know, they were going through some hard times, and again, often my job has been to work with those parent groups as well and to help support them. Um, mm-hmm. because it's an important part of the school and it's an important part of our, you know, student recruitment is having that parent group to support and parents mm-hmm. that can reach out to new parents and help connect them and, and and you know, those sorts of things. And um, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. No, but, it yeah, and, and I'm sure that you as a school rely on these parents because they spread the word about the awesomeness of the school, isn't it, a bit? Definitely. And that, that, that's what I'm going to say is, you know, from a marketing perspective, um, you can have a great flashy website and you can do all of these sorts of marketing activities. But really, it's that word of mouth. 
that you really have to re- rely on and, you know, I'm mm-hmm. providing support for your parents and making sure that, you know, they're happy and they're getting that, you know, the support that they need because they will then share that with new families um, when they're looking or potential families when they're looking and going, yeah, you know, I felt really welcomed. You know, I've been able to find a community. Um, I've been able to find my people. Um, you know, it really, it's one of the things I do love about the expat life um, is that community feel, it, you know, and everybody's supporting everybody. We understand because we've been through the journey and the nervousness and the going, you know, going to a foreign country and not speaking the language and not being able to find a loaf of bread or some milk or, or things like that because you just don't know where to look or how to ask. And I love the fact that, you know, there's there's lots of people in that community that see a new person come in and will sort of go up and help them and say, hey, you know, what can I do to help you? I love I love it when that happens. Yeah, it's actually interesting. The school uh, my kids are attending at the moment, they have a well-being program and um, they have a committee where they have parents, teachers and students and admin staff to make sure that everyone in this community is happy, even the parents, because they have realized that, yeah, when when you have a really unhappy mother, Yeah. It sounds so stupid, but it affects the whole family. Definitely. And I've, I mean, you as I, we both know that there are sometimes moments in this expert journey where you're like, oh, why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to move on. And But yeah, it, there are moments where everything is not so um, you easy. Definitely, you go through cycles. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> um, thank you for all this insight. Now, I don't know. I would be super interested if you would like maybe to talk about a little. So we were together in China. Yeah. You are not in China anymore. Um, do you want to talk a little where you are now? And um, yeah, yeah. Are, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm now in the US, um, which is as almost as opposite from China as you can get. <laughs> but weirdly so so similar there are so i feel the longer i live here the more there are similarities than differences which i i genuinely can't believe um you know we we actually moved from china to the us um during the during covid during the po- pandemic which i'm going to recommend For those of you who also moved during the pandemic, it is so stressful. Don't do it. <laughs> If you can avoid it, don't move during the pandemic. And I know you're laughing, Tina, because you also did it as well. Um, it's, it's. I think it's one of, we, we had one, we had this conversation with, with, with another expat lady and we were like, everyone can move countries during COVID moving countries. That's a new story. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm going to say, Living in the US, I'm feeling like the culture shock is so different to my culture shock in China. Um, here in the US, I don't look different to the population, unlike mm-hmm. in China, until I speak. And then, you know, as soon as I sort of open my mouth, they love the accent. 
Um, they're just as curious to know why I'm here and those sorts of things. I'm going to say it is. there is definitely less of an expat community. Um, okay. And I find that a little harder to connect because there's not the people with the shared experience. Um, it is great to get to know a much more local community because obviously it's much more easy for me to communicate than it was when we're in China because my Mandarin is non-existent. Um, so that's been good being able to speak the language. It's been good to be able to go to the supermarkets and know what you're purchasing and rather than guessing. But then there's other things that are harder because there's an assumption that, well, you just know what it's like because you understand that culture. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've really loved is, again, breaking all my assumptions, thinking that, you know, the that sort of Western Anglo culture, Australia, UK, US, we're all so similar. But I'm finding the longer I've been here, um, just more differences and I'm I'm really enjoying not just finding out the differences, but trying to think about like why do they behave like this? You know, why is it that these things are so much more important in this culture than in than in another one? And particularly, you know, the differences between um, the US and and Australia and and yeah, it's it's been fascinating. But hey. I'm sorry, I have to tell you this story now. You, I probably have told you this. You know that when we moved to China, the biggest culture shock of all I had with you Australians. Um, because, you know, I was expecting to get a culture shock from China. And maybe it's the same with you with the US because, you know, you move to China and everyone tells you a different culture. And we look different. So, we, we, so I was expecting this. I had my culture shock. And then... When I started at the school working, there were all these Australian people like you. <laughs> and there was this one lady and we were working together and she is, we both know her and she's absolutely wonderful and welcoming. And she came to me and like, oh my God, it's so nice to meet you. And oh my God, you are German. And oh my God, Tina, it's so wonderful. And then she said, to me, we need to have a glass of wine together. And I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, because... In Germany, if you ask someone out for a glass of wine, it's like a marriage proposal. I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> exaggerating, but you know. Anyway, and so I went home and I said to husband, 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 I've I've been invited for a glass of wine, and I don't know. And and he was just smiling, you know, he British smiled anyway. Mm -hmm. And then she never came back to me, and <laughs> I was so heartbroken. And then I think after a week or two, I went home and I said, she didn't ask me again. <laughs> Husband was like, I need to tell you something. There are cultures <laughs> who say this, and it means I like you, but it doesn't mean I want to marry you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I think this is probably what you had. This You expect yeah. to be the same, but you aren't. It's just, yes. yeah, it's different it, history. Yeah. It's, it, I just, I just, I, it's one of the things that I love about being an expat and I'm loving about mm -hmm. living in different countries is not just how much you learn about other people and other cultures, but how much you learn about yourself and how, oh, many, yes. how much you make assumptions about this is the way it is because this is the way it is. And then when you go somewhere else and you realise, oh, no, they do it differently here, um, 
I just it's like it, it really makes you question, you know, and think about the way things are. It is. It is. I mean, sometimes I feel like once you are an expert, it's very hard to to go back because yeah, this all this craziness mm. every day. It's yeah, what you experience, and not not only with the the culture of your host country. With usually you're exposed to all the different cultures. Yeah. But especially now, what you're saying about the US, I think this is very interesting to when you when you expect the same things, but they are very different, right? Definitely, and you can't change it. Is it? No. This is no, no. You can't change. I mean, you can't change it. Even going back home, you can't change your culture. The way your culture is is the way it is. Yeah, it is what it is. That's true. Okay, Kim. Yes. Do we want to talk about your your COVID for a second about your COVID move? Because for mm -hmm. me, this story was very impressive, and we have five more minutes. Okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can talk about it in five minutes. Oh, you can I have know. ten. I I don't know where to start with our COVID journey. That was hilarious. Uh, I mean, I think I've still got some trauma from it. Um. So we were living in China. Um. When COVID happened, um, so, you know, sort of November, December 2019, October, sorry, January 2020, um, we were planning a trip to Malaysia and during the Lunar New Year. Um, coincidentally, at the same time, my husband, we'd already decided to leave China pre-COVID. My husband was interviewing, so it worked out that he happened to be actually coming to the US for an interview at that same sort of time. Um, so my, my son and I jump on a plane to Malaysia for our holiday. Our, our husband is, or my husband is about to join us after his interview. And, you know, that's when they announced that they're closing the schools, that basically China is all shutting down. So we were in, basically we were in Malaysia when that all happened. So we're like, well, oh, no. China's not safe to go back to. We'll just stay here and see what happens. So, would you have been able to go back? Yeah, at that point, yeah, yeah, at that point. Yeah. So, so this was really early on in the piece, and so we we you know we packed for like an eight day holiday um, mm -hmm. to to you know a beautiful island in, in mm. Malaysia. So nice. And then COVID hit and we ended up staying there for three, three, three and a half weeks. So what be, what started out as a holiday ended up being really weird. And, you know, that initial like, oh, wow, we're stuck on this beautiful island, you know, how yeah. lucky are we? It actually didn't work out like that um, no. because it was just so stressful because we just didn't know how long we were going to be. You know, we were like, well, we can't stay here indefinitely. We, you know, we're paying, you know, room rates on the night, by the night sort of thing. Oh, so the hotel didn't, didn't say, okay, you are stranded. Oh, yeah, of course they are a business. No. And, and so we, we moved, we moved about from about three different hotels, you know, as, as they'd got longer because, it, you know, we're like, we can't afford to stay here too much longer, you know. We need to find somewhere cheaper and somewhere cheaper sort of thing. And then we, it sort of got to a point where we went, oh, no, we can't, you know, we, we, we can't stay here. Things are looking really bad in China. Let's go back to Australia. It's, you know, we felt, felt that was the safest place to go. Um, 
so we took a flight and went to Australia. I was really lucky that I could stay with my family. They had, you know, my parents had spare room. You know, they took us in. And I, I was sort of at that point going, wow, we're a coronavirus refugee. We're refugees. You know, we've had to escape out, you know, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it was a really weird time, you know, watching from afar all this stuff happening in in China and then, you know, in Europe and then in the US and and then in Australia. And we were like, oh, wow, what's going to happen here? And so, of course, by that point, you know, you know, it was, it was the eight-day holiday had turned into six weeks, seven weeks. And, you know, luckily, suddenly my husband had, had a job, so we knew we were going to, to be moving. Um, but I, we were like, but we need to go home. You know, China's our home. We've been there for nearly 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so we took that really difficult decision and hopped on a plane back to China in the middle of COVID. And, you know, I remember telling family and friends that this is what we're doing and they were like, are you crazy? Like you're going to China in the middle of this? Mm -hmm. And we were like, well, but this is home. This, this is, is hard for this hard to understand for people who don't it's this why are you, yeah, it's home but because it is home in it's this home. moment right it's where we'd lived for nine years my you know it's where my son had spent his whole childhood um this is where our friends were our not just friends but who people who we counted as family mm -hmm. so we, we hopped on a plane and i can't tell you being in um the airport in hong kong which is such a busy airport and it was deserted and there were like only two flights on, on the board leaving Hong Kong. It was the weirdest feeling. And then mm -hmm. landing in Shanghai and going through huge processes. Now, at, at that point, and it was changing weekly and daily, at that point when we come in, it depended what country you were flying from, what the outcomes were. If you were in a country that had high COVID, you know, they were sending you off to a hotel to quarantine. If you had COVID, they were sending you to a, a COVID hospital to quarantine there. Luckily, we were coming from Australia, so they didn't have much COVID there. So we got to go home, um, oh, which I was so relieved about. But we still had to quarantine for two weeks in our apartment. <laughs> They locked the door, didn't they? They locked it was the door and there was an alarm on the door. So if we opened the door, an alarm would go back to a base, and which was pretty weird. And then any interactions we had, people were in their full suits, um, you know, covered head to toe so they couldn't catch COVID from us, not that we had COVID. Um, and, you know, it was funny because everyone's like, oh, my God, you were stuck for two weeks in your apartment But after being two months of being homeless, mm -hmm. it felt so good to be back home. We were really happy. You know, we got some shopping delivered. Some friends were fantastic. Um, they delivered food for us and some little treats. And it was, you know, it was so nice to be back home. The weather was beautiful. We sat on our balcony. And the other thing was, I knew I was leaving in a few months' time, so I started packing the house or going through things and sorting things. So it was some really great opportunities. 
Um, so yeah, that was that was us getting back to China, and then once we kind of went through that whole COVID process, and my son went back to school, and my husband went back to work. S schools were open in China at that point. By that, well. They were they were just opening up, which is one of the reasons why you know we went back to China is so mm -hmm. my son could go back to school in person, just as mm -hmm. every other school in the rest of the world was closing. Um, you know, we got back to school and he had. I mean, there were still temperature tests and there were still restrictions and and all of those things, but he got back to school. He didn't have to wear a mask. You know, I mean, it wasn't quite normal, but it was a lot more normal than it was in the rest of the world. Um, you know, we got to pack up our house and we got to say goodbye to our friends as we were leaving. Um, and I know there were so many people, so many friends who actually didn't get to do that, you know, so many people mm -hmm. who left China on holidays or for brief moments to, to, to escape COVID there and never never got to go back and never got to say goodbye. And that, you know, for those who have been expats, that saying goodbye is a really important part of the process. <laughs> yes. It's such an important part of the process. It is. So Absolutely. I'm really happy that we got to say goodbye. I'm going to mm -hmm. say <laughs> I really wanted to say goodbye. There are points where I didn't know if we'd actually be able to get out of China. Um, Because by that point, this we're talking about June, July 2020, there were no flights. So many flights, international flights had been cancelled. We were going to the US, but we couldn't go directly to the US. So we were flying back to Australia first to quarantine in Australia again. Um, and we ended up having three flights booked because we just weren't sure if the flight you know, the first flight we booked, whether it would actually get us back to Australia. So we booked mm -hmm. a backup flight. And then in the end, oh, what was it? We were due, this was the Saturday, we were due to fly out on the Wednesday and Australia announced some new restrictions that meant mm -hmm. that we weren't sure whether, even if our flight took was able to go, whether we'd actually be able to get back into Australia. So we booked a third flight that left on the Monday. So it was so crazy to think after nine years of living in a country, the flight we let take to leave, we book on a Saturday and we leave on a Monday, the Monday. It was, it was just crazy. I remember we were talking in, in this time and I remember that you said, Yeah, we don't know if we are, when we are leaving. And I think we even talked on that Friday or Saturday. Yeah. Because the next thing I heard was you were on, yeah, you were gone. Yeah. It, 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 was, it felt like that. It literally felt like that we were gone. Um, and I'm going to say I, as the um, plane took off in Shanghai, you know, I, I was sobbing. I was like so relieved to be able to move. And to leave because I just didn't know if we would, and so mm -hmm. so sad to be leaving because it's not how I wanted to go. Um, yeah, it it was just a crazy place. Anyway, we we made it back 
through weird airports. This time we went flew through Singapore. Again, it was so empty. Um, and to Australia, where we did two weeks quarantine in a hotel in Australia. So the three of us in, you know, a one-room hotel for two weeks and we were not allowed to leave there. But but weirdly enough, just like when we spent the, the two weeks in our apartment in China, it was kind of exciting to be back home in Australia again, having not, you know, lived there for for 10 years you know, we mm-hmm. looked out the window and at, at, at the place where we were staying at, this is the place that we, when we left, was the place we left so when we moved to China, we were back there again. So it felt like we'd gone full cycle. It was exciting just to sit and watch Australian TV and Australian ads and Australian news. It was exciting to have food delivered that we hadn't been able to really have or try or experience. And so, you know, it, was it would I choose to do it no but we made a made an experience of it and then you know I think as a family it actually brought us closer together because we had that shared experience and we're kind of like hey if anybody can do this you know if we can do this we can do anything this is what what I felt I mean I haven't talked about this in the podcast yet, but yes, we had to quarantine for all in total. I don't know how many months, but um, it was exactly now that you said if you have to choose it. I have to say, I loved this first two weeks we had to stay in quarantine in the hotel because I remembered usually when you move to a new place, your airplane lands, you get into the country and then you storm to buy yeah. food to make sure kids school jet lag blah, 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 blah. yeah here we got out of the airplane were transferred into this hotel the doors were locked <laughs> we got food delivered <laughs> we there was nothing to worry about i i don't know i don't know if i would love to do it again but yeah. i kind of enjoyed the fact that we could start this new country from within. I mean, that it then in the end was like, I don't know, three, four, five months. Wasn't that pleasant, but <laughs> with this thinking of it's only for two weeks, it was okay. To some extent, I like it. We live such busy, busy lives. Being forced to stop for a short period of time was actually a great experience. Would I do it again? Uh, no. Yeah, then, exactly. <laughs> then the the crazy thing was, you know, after quarantining in Australia, um, you know, we went to the US em- embassy, got our visas to get into go to the US. Um, within a few short weeks, we were on a, a, another international flights um, to to the US. So you know, during that time in COVID, we took so many international flights, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, talk about culture shock, landing in the US, having been in, in China and Australia, which had quite strict rules on moving and mask wearing and, and all of those things, and, and then to come to the US, it was a huge culture shock because it felt like to from our experience everything was just normal here in the US there was not even a, a mandatory face mask wearing no. was it 
No, not oh. not generally. I mean, if you went into certain places, yes, you did have to wear masks and and, and different things like that. It it was just really weird, and and it wasn't definitely wasn't as busy. You know, the shopping malls definitely weren't as busy as they are now, and things like that. It was definitely quieter, but. Mm-hmm. It was so nothing like where we were coming from, from from China and from Australia and and those sorts of things. So it was like this, wow. And then we moved here and we didn't even have to quarantine, you know. We oh, to, my. <laughs> what a difference. <laughs> we didn't have to isolate. But then I was kind of like, you know, I was like the reality is, you know, having been in if I had all these international flights and been in China and Australia, the reality was we were probably going to get COVID in the US. So, we, you know, everybody else around us was more likely to have COVID than us because we've been so super cautious. <laughs> and that's true. Did you get COVID? Um, yes, but not not for a long, not for a, couple, a year or so later. Uh, okay, so you were safe. <laughs> yes. Kim, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you were here. And that you told and shared your story. Thank you. Um, yeah. Is there anything you you want to to add? Is there anything no, that is I, left to say? And, and, uh, yeah. Not at all. I just say thank you for inviting me, Tina. I absolutely love what you're doing. I think um, the expat wife is a a great way for people to tell stories and for people who are looking at this life or even people have gone through this life to, to share that, hey, you know, we're all going yeah. through this together. It is, it is. This is what I always hope that because there are sometimes moments, I think, where you feel lonely and to know, no, it's for everyone is the same. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is, it is. And for those who are about to, to embark on the journey, just do it. I just, you know, just do it. You'll love it and you, you'll keep doing it and, or you'll hate it and you'll go back home, but at least you tried, you know. I think that's the yeah. thing is, you know, that was when we chose to leave Australia so many years ago with a two-year-old, it was kind of like one of those things where, okay, I'm either going to absolutely love this or I'm going to hate it. But that's okay because I'd rather have tried it and hated it and not, but not have stayed at home and never tried and regret never trying. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't add anything to this. <laughs> this is true. Okay, Kim. Yeah. I will now say goodbye. Goodbye. And, and we will talk very soon. And maybe you will come back because I feel like there's much more to talk about. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, everyone else. Um, take good care. My name is Tina and I'm the host of this show.